Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today in worship. And thank you to whoever put that video together. I love that. A picture is worth a thousand words. This time of year, if you're joining us online, maybe from someplace outside of Hamilton County, you should know that right now all of our schools are kind of going back if they're not back already. And families, moms and dads and kids are wrapping up those last-minute summer vacations. And, uh, you know, it's time, right? It's time to get back to school and kind of step back into the routine of uh, typically what a fall looks like. I, I, so can I go ahead and say it? Happy fall. Is that okay? It feels like as, as beautiful as it is outside today and the sun is shining, it feels a bit premature to talk about fall, but it's kind of here. Here we go. Um, this is also the time of year when TV producers start they're kind of back to fall programming. Like the season premieres are kicking up. I, I don't know if uh, Netflix has killed all of that or Amazon Prime. I don't know about you. I'm not watching very many television shows. But there is one. There's one that when it's coming out on a weekly basis, we set the DVR, and Don and I started watching this several years ago. How many of you... When I say the phrase, this is us, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me see your hands. All right, I see some fans. By the way your hands went up there, I, I think some of you really like that show. I do. I'm not afraid to admit this. And uh, I don't know, guys, if some of you, like me, maybe started watching this show because your wife was into it. Something weird happens, something like, um, I don't know, I can't explain it exactly, but we're watching the show, and every once in a while, not every time, but every once in a while as we're watching it, my eyes start misting up. There's like this funny thing happening with my eyes. They get kind of leaky. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I'm still not quite to the bottom of that, but this show, This Is Us, uh, if you're not familiar with it, by the way, I don't have to give you the spoiler alert. If you have not started this show, it's pretty good. You might want to check it out. But the storyline revolves around a set of triplets. And there's a mom and a dad. And, and it's kind of like the then, the now, and the not yet. It's a creative storytelling process. We're looking at these three kids when they were babies and little kids and teenagers, the then. Then there's a whole storyline that's happening now. And last season, for the first time yet, we got a peek at the not yet. Where is this, the arc of this storyline, where is it going to take us? And I just learned the other day, I think the kickoff is not going to be in the fall. It's going to be in the spring. So it's like I've got to wait till I don't know, January or February for the rest of this story. It has all kinds of themes to it. If you've been tracking along on this, it, it hits me in all the feels. There's a, a, an adoption storyline, right? So you've got triplets, and uh, one of the little kids was adopted. So there's sto a storyline there that's about uh, adoption, and that kind of grabs some of my heartstrings, and every once in a while I get a little leaky about that. And then uh, there's also some racial tension that gets explored in this show, and it's, it's, it's pretty interesting drama there. They lose a family member, and again, no spoiler alerts here. You learn this pretty early in the story, that one of the parents dies, and as a teenager, I lived through that. My mom died when I was in high school, and there have been a couple times during the show where my eyes get a little leaky as I watch this. This is us, the then, the now and the not yet. 
And there's something with this storyline. I've thought the whole time as I've been watching it, you know what, it's called This Is Us, but it's almost like it should be called Becoming Us. I looked this up last week. There's actually a show that's already called Becoming Us. I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. Can't recommend that to you. That's probably why they didn't title it Becoming Us, because it's about not only who they were, but who they are and who they are becoming. I love that. We today kick off a three-week series that we've titled Becoming Us. Why? Because this is about the then, the now, and the not yet. We're casting vision, not just for who we are as a church, but who God is calling us to become, becoming us. Let me give you a sneak peek of what you're going to experience for the next three weeks. The title of the sermon today is Who We Are. Let's start there. Who are we? Next week, the title of the sermon is Where We're Going. Where is God calling us toward? And then the last week, it's called Hills We'll Die On. Hills We Choose to Die On. In other words, what's not going to change? In other words, what do we really care about? If, if you are uh, maybe into strat ops, if you're a business person, let me unpack this just a little bit. This week, today, who we are, this is all about our mission, our mission statement as a church, as a faith community. Next week, where we're going, this is our vision statement, where God is calling us toward. The third week, this is our core values as an organization, the hills we choose to die on what is super meaningful to us, what will never change. Mission, vision, values, who we are, where we're going, hills we choose to down. Now, when you're talking about vision and a process of becoming us, you can, you can do this a couple of ways. You can microwave it, and you could uh, crockpot it, right? Could be a short approach, could be a long approach. Let me give you this statement. We've done both. And it wasn't really our plan to do both, but this is kind of how it played out. This process, this sermon is about 18 months overdue. We were heading down this road, oh, about 18 months ago. And if you remember what happened in that time in our world, it went from a microwave to a crockpot strategy. Do you remember about 18 months ago, so we gathered together about 18 of our people in a room, March 11th, 2020. And uh, we were ready to rock, right? And then just a few days later, well, we did church like we had never done it before. I've got some pictures. I was scrolling through my phone because I wanted to show you some pictures that I took. This is the very first weekend that our church, listen, we had nothing in place at that point. The governor said, you can't meet together this weekend as a church. Okay, what are we going to do? We borrowed a camera from Grace, we scrambled, we, cl- we made this space into kind of a, a video, kind of a strategy. And, and I don't know if you can see it or not, but if you look in my eyes there, when I look at that, I see fear. <laughs> I see, oh my goodness, I don't know if we can pull this off. That was a scary moment for me. Vision is sometimes like this, by the way, when you get to the edge of the cliff and you look over and, can we do this? Can we take this jump? Where are we going? The next picture, 
I want to tell you this story, by the way, in reverse. That was Sunday after the Wednesday that a bunch of us gathered together in a uh, room and did some vision, mission, values work. This is uh, just a few moments before the picture that I just showed you. I had just gone back and checked in with some of our staff who were loving on you well through digital strategies. That was awesome. If we go backwards a little bit in the storyline, just a couple of days before that, actually, let me show you this picture. This is a group of our elders. I don't think our church actually owned a Zoom account yet. I think we were maybe borrowing somebody else's Zoom account, uh, but we kind of gathered together in an emergency meeting because that day is the day that the Indiana governor said, you guys can't meet together physically as a church this weekend. This was our, oh my goodness, what are we going to do kind of a meeting. You can't see it because you don't have the resolution to see it, but I can see that uh, this title right here on this monitor in my office says, the steps include, and it's bullet points that had come from the government. This is what we have to do as a faith community. And we're talking through how we're going to pull this off. If you go backwards in the timeline, because remember, this is us. This is how they tell their storytelling. Go backwards to this picture. This is what I had been looking at in my office that morning. I snapped a photo of my Bible that was open. This is John 17, the priestly prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples. And he says this in verse 27, and I've got it highlighted here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I needed to hear that that morning. I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. Okay, so go backwards in time to the day when we've got 18 people gathered in the room. And if you look at my eyes here in this photo, it looks a little bit different than the other picture I showed you. That panic look in my eyes in the other picture. This one, I'm filled with hope. I'm filled with encouragement. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in and through this group of people as we dream together about our mission, our vision, and our core values as a faith community. It was being microwaved. God said, hey, let's crockpot this thing. And we spent the last 18 months praying over this and dreaming on this and gearing up. And, well, here we go. Are you ready? Do you want to see the mission statement of our faith community? Venture Christian Church. This has been refined through the fire of a global pandemic. Here you go. Our mission. We're real people. We're going to unpack that here in just a minute. What's it mean to be real Real people, loving courageously, sharing generously, and speaking truthfully. These are very carefully chosen words and phrases strung together. We're going to unpack that with the rest of our time today. Actually, we're going to spend years unpacking this together. This is our mission. This is who we are. Real people, loving courageously. Let's go back. Sharing generously. And speaking truthfully. Do me a favor right now. Pull out your smartphone and just take a photograph of that. Take a mental picture right now in your mind's eye as well. And I would encourage you over the next week, two weeks, three weeks, as we journey together, think about this. Absorb that. Process that. Actually, I want to spend some time right now looking at this real people. What does that mean together? You're going to have other opportunities to take a picture of this same slide, so I'm going to move on, but you can come back and get a picture here in a little bit. We're asking the question, what is a real Christian? What does it mean to be real? By the way, this is a question that uh, Jesus' people have been wrestling with for a very long time. Remember, there is a, a now and a not yet quality to this thing, who we are, where we're going, what hills we choose to die on. 
Christians have been asking this question for a very long time. Raise your hand if you know the name when I say it. Jonathan Edwards. Do you remember this guy? If you've studied American history, perhaps you remember this guy. Jonathan Edwards, here's the deal. He preached this famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that sermon and other sermons like that launched a a, a whole season, a a revival would be the spiritual word to put on it, on the American frontier from like 1741 for a season, a period of time there. God used that in some amazing ways. We were on a road trip this past week with my family. Not this last week, this summer, early summer. And we were out to explore New England, and we drove through all of these beautiful states. The last state we hit was the state of Connecticut. He preached this in a little town called Enfield, Connecticut. And there's a plaque there that commemorates the moment when Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. I wanted to go see that. It was going to be like an hour out of our drive time. Guess what? I got overruled. There were seven people in the van, and uh, it turns out I'm a nerd, right? I'm the one that wants to go see this historical marker, and it's tough being a nerd in a family full of cool kids, and none of them wanted to do it. And uh, you know what this like is to be on a road trip, and you're having a great time. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the worst of smells coming from the back seat. This is the last day of that trip, or the close to the last day, and it was time just to get home. So I don't have a picture to show you of that. I'd like to see that at some point it wasn't destined for that trip but this is a question this is by the way Jonathan Edwards he's a handsome looking chap isn't he centers in the hands of an angry God he launches this spiritual movement the American Great Awakening I read a book several several years ago that was written by a guy by the name of Todd Wilson and it's called real Christian bearing the marks of authentic faith. What's it look like to be a real Christian? And what this author, current contemporary author, did was unpack some of Jonathan Edwards' early works, including a book he wrote called Religious Affections, where he talked about this. What does it mean to be a real Christian? And uh, here's a quote that I would share. He said, this is a perennial question for the church. Each generation must wrestle with this issue and draw on the wisdom of Scripture and the saints of old to offer the church a faithful and relevant description of the marks of authentic faith. What's it mean to be a real Christian? And then he unpacks, according to Jonathan Edwards, what he said, American frontier, years ago, what's it mean to be a real Christian? The question that I want to invite you to wrestle with for the next few minutes, few of the next five minutes or so, as a communion meditation to get us ready to receive this moment that we do each week and the church has been doing for, oh, a couple thousand years now. When we gather together around the Lord's table and we get real with God, I would invite you as we look at these questions to simply go inward, look inside your heart, Look inside your mind. Ask yourself the question, am I real according to these six markers? And then you're going to spend some time soaking in that and wrestling through those questions together with God. Here's the first question. Am I humble? You see, according to Jonathan Edwards years ago, he talks about humility, and he describes it as transcendent self-confidence. Humility. He said this, the purpose of humility isn't to make you think less of who you are, but to enable you to love others regardless of who they are. K. 
Can you imagine? Could you imagine a faith community that lives their lives in such a way, through humility, we're winsome, and our neighbors, and our coworkers, and our family members, and our friends, even those who are far from Jesus, because of our humility, they're drawn to him. Am I humble? Wrestle with that question. Here's another quote, humility. Humility is simply the mindset needed to love others as God calls us to love. Am I humble? Second question, am I meek? Jonathan Edwards said that meekness, this is a lamb-like disposition. By the way, do not confuse meek with weak. Actually, it takes incredible strength to put on meekness. It's not weak. Here's the quote, Christians must forgive all. Followers of Jesus will suffer mistreatment with a lamb-like disposition. The kind we see in Jesus. Remember your Savior who was spat on, who was cursed at? Remember him? What he did on the cross displayed meekness. Slights and slanders, hurts and harms are met with meekness, not hostility. Can I get real here just for a second? Think about the last 18 months. Think about your political persuasions. Think about your ideologies, that maybe there's something that's happened in our culture or something that's happened maybe in your cul-de-sac that over the last 18 months has pushed up against your political persuasions, pushed up against the way you view the world ideologically. Slights and slanders. Have you responded? Do you respond with Christ-like responses. Little hurts and harms are met with meekness, not hostility. What the world needs to see right now through Jesus' followers is meekness put on display for him. Number three, am I contrite? Am I contrite? Contrition, uh, Edwards says, is this is the gospel emotion. Here's the quote. Contrition is brokenheartedness over sin. It's how real Christians respond to sin in their own lives. Does your sin, when you stare your brokenness in its face, does your sin cause you to feel the appropriate level of shame? Does it cause you to feel your brokenness and know that sin is designed to separate you from God? It's how real Christians respond to sin in their lives, while a lack of contrition shows us that a person isn't real. Contrition is a uniquely Christian response to sin. It's a gospel response, indeed a gospel emotion. As you think about gearing up to sit down here around the table with Jesus, is your sin staring you in the face and do you feel an appropriate level of contrition? By the way, when we look to Jesus for salvation from our sins, this is what this is, not just salvation of our sins. Here's the quote, a contrite heart wants salvation from sin, deliverance, purging, cleansing from its power and dominion over life. In other words, can you leave that sin behind and follow hard after Jesus? Number four, am I whole? Am I whole? Wholeness, this is the the full image of Jesus. Another way to ask this is, are you a hypocrite? Are you the same here at church as you are, oh, fill in the blank, at home, at work, in the cul-de-sac? Am I whole? Real Christians are Christ-like. They're a whole balanced people. Just as we see in the life of Christ a beautiful symmetry and proportionality, so we see the same in the lives of real Christians. Number five, am I hungry? 
Am I hungry? He describes hunger as the torrent, quote, of spiritual desire. Here's the quote, hunger shapes the lives of real Christians. It's the secret to their spiritual vibrancy. Can you imagine? I mentioned Jonathan Edwards a bit ago. Launched the Great Awakening. You guys, I pray. Oh, I long to see spiritual revival in our country. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if a group of people like us were to really hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake? To hunger and thirst after the things of God. Can you imagine what that would do to spark a fire in our culture? That's exactly what happened in the early days of the American experiment through people like Jonathan Edwards, through the Holy Spirit that did his work in and through them. By the way, you could trace, I don't want to get caught in a history lesson, but you could trace that movement, Jonathan Edwards, and you could skip ahead and kind of see downstream of some of what was going on there is what birthed our movement. In the 1820s, frontier America, the independent Christian church, the Church of Christ is birthed. And God used that movement in some big ways, and I would encourage you today, he's still using that movement in some big ways. But can you imagine how much more he would use us if we really became hungry and hungered after God? Hunger shapes the lives of real Christians. It's the secret to their spiritual vibrancy. Here's another quote. Christians are truly hungry for one thing, God. They continue to desire God even after they've found him. Number six. Am I loving? This is perfected love, right? This is the mark of marks is what Edwards said. Here's the quote. All the other marks of a real Christian from humility to hunger express themselves in love or are different ways in which love works itself out in our lives. Furthermore, perfected love is the goal of the other marks. It shows up in several ways. First of all, it's visible. Is your love, the love that you put on display to the world, do they see Jesus in and through you? It's tangible. It's designed to be practical. It's designed to be sacrificial. When people see you, do they see your love on display? I want to put those six questions up again. I want to pause right now in the middle of this sermon. And I want to take a moment, as I said a bit ago, to simply gather around the Lord's table to spend some time going inward. Invite him to examine our hearts and our minds. As we talk about becoming us, let's start with who we are. And let's get right with God right now. There's six questions here up on the screen. Am I humble? Am I meek? Am I contrite? Am I whole? Am I hungry? Am I loving? And I would invite you right now to come inward and spend some time with God and invite him Wrestle together with him what this past week needs to be put to death, what sin needs to be dealt with, what hard-headed approach to life does he need to wrestle to the ground with you right now. You just invite him into this space. As you came in today, you heard Jenny talk about a little bit earlier, some of you have a new piece of communion and some of you have the old thing. Regardless of what it is, I invite you to grab those right now, hold those in your hands. Think about his body broken for you. Think about his blood shed for you. You wrestle with these questions. Let him do his thing in your heart. And when you feel ready, you go ahead and meet him there around the table. And as you take in the body broken, as you take in his blood shed, 
embrace his forgiveness that he has in store for you. Would you bow your heads? God, as we approach you right now, we invite you to come in and do your work inside. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to be real. We want to be authentic. We don't want to be phony. We don't want to be fake. So we approach you right now with sincerity. You already know us. You know what we're wrestling with, so we just pour it all out before you right now, our God, and invite you to deal with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes. Hey, as, as you have a seat, can I just simply remind you, that's who he is. He's a way maker, miracle worker. He's a promise keeper in your life. Who he is, well, that informs who he's calling us to be, our mission, who we are. By the way, the mission of the church, it's not changed for 2,000 years. He told us on his way to heaven. Matthew chapter 28, he said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And this, here's the deal, I'm going to be with you. I go with you to accomplish this mission. As we look at uh, Venture's uh, unique expression of the Great Commission, our mission statement, can I remind you, we're back in, we're real people. Real. What's it mean to be real? authentic before our God. I want to talk about loving courageously. Then we're going to talk about sharing generously. We're going to talk about speaking truthfully. By the way, we're going to hit this pretty quick because we're going to be talking about this for days and weeks and months, even years to come. Today is kind of an overview of this. We'll dive in deeper as we go further. But let's talk, first of all, what's it look like? What's it mean to be loving courageously? By the way, you're going to notice here, these are all action verbs. These, this language was very strategically chosen. We want to be a people, real people who are loving courageously. What's this mean? I could show you all kinds of places in Scripture where God speaks to this, where he calls us toward loving courageously. I'd look no further than 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, which says this. By the way, count the number of times you see the word love here. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Well, love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Then if you skip down just a few verses, there's no fear in love. We're called to love courageously. We are loving courageously. Perfect love is designed to drive out fear. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, get this, he's a liar. Don't believe him. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he's not seen. And has given, he's given us this command. Love one another. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. I, uh, I have a bunch of kids, and one of my boys loves to go goodwill hunting. I don't mean the uh, movie from years ago. I mean literally going to goodwill and hunting for stuff. Uh, I kind of love this about him, and, uh, you know, he's got even found some deals every once in a while, and that's the kind of thing you could even make some money on, and you could sell it on the market. Uh, 
Um, I uh, was looking at what he brought home from Goodwill the other day. By the way, if you're joining us online, Hamilton County is a great place to visit Goodwill stores. We get rid of some great stuff here. There are many weeks you're watching me preach, and you might not know this, but the shirt I'm wearing was purchased at Goodwill. Not today. I think I bought this at Costco. But there are plenty of times that I'm wearing a Goodwill shirt, and my fear is that one of you is going to come up to me after the service and say, hey, I, have the, I had that same shirt. I think I dropped that off at Goodwill the other day, and then I'm going to have to confess to you, well, I, I washed it first, but thank you for the shirt. I love it. Anyway, he was at Goodwill, and he brought home what he had found there, including a hat. I love this hat. Does anybody remember the brand No Fear? This was a brand name that I kind of wore out when I was in college. He found a, a No Fear hat at Goodwill. He was showing this to me. I Googled it, looked it up. I've even got a picture here. I think I had this sweatshirt in the T-shirt version. He who dies with the most toys still dies. No fear. It was like you're supposed to chug a Mountain Dew and then jump off a cliff with a parachute or something. That's what this brand was all about. And this made me think of college. It made me think of my dating years, especially when I met this cute girl named Dawn McDonald. And I was thinking about, uh, you know, romantic love. And then I read this article talking about love. And it was saying things like this, real people loving courageously... Well, the article suggested it's starting a conversation. And I remember that moment in dating. Like my hands are all like clammy. And Dawn and I were actually just talking about that a couple days ago. She, she took my hand and we were remembering that moment when we were young and in love. And it's also looking like not just starting a conversation, but making the first move. By the way, I wasn't great at that. I don't think as a young man I was necessarily loving courageously there. But then I read this article and I thought this, this, this romantic love article, it actually has some parallels with Jesus' love, Christ-like love. What if as Christians, real Christians, what if we were loving courageously at our workplace, in our families, in the cul-de-sac? What if we really put Jesus' love on display? Guys, we could change the world. Loving courageously. This article went on to say, here's what loving courageously looks like maybe in a husband-wife relationship. And there, I think there are parallels here to taking Jesus' love to the world. Like they said this, saying I love you and meaning it. Of course, they meant inside the confines of romantic, that loving relationship. But what if we really meant that with our neighbors? What if we really meant, I love you with the love of Jesus, and I'm willing to put that love on display as I sacrificially serve you well? Here's one they said, being the one to initiate a hug or a touch. Yesterday, Dawn and I journeyed up to Lafayette, and we, we bought a tool. She's been into this, this thing where she's making a pottery, and we found a tool that she wanted for that, and we went and got that. And there were a couple times during the day she just came up and gave me a hug. She was excited about this. I love that. I love those moments when she just comes up and gives me a hug. There's something about that, that, that physical demonstration of, I, I love you. I like you. I want to be with you. Yesterday, during that, all that, while that was rolling through my brain, I was also listening to a podcast. Uh, the guy who founded the company, maybe you're familiar with it, it's called Black Rifle Coffee. 
He's an ex-vet. Well, he is a current vet. He's an like, ex-special forces guy. I think he was in the CIA for a while as well. And he was just telling the story of how his company came to be. And here's the deal. If he was a Jesus follower, I would say he's on mission for Jesus. Because he's doing this thing like where he's loving vets, like people who have served our country overseas. And they come back with emotional hurt and they, physical hurt. And he gives them a job. And then he puts on these events to help heal them emotionally. And he talked about his whole organization exists for this purpose. He's selling coffee, yes, but it's coffee with a purpose. Anyway, in the middle of this, he was talking about this idea. He said, and I quote, he said, I never miss a hug. And he was talking about his relationship with his family, his wife and his little girls. But he also was talking about when one of these guys, these tough military vet guys, when they offer a hug, I take it. Sometimes I initiate it. And there's something powerful in human contact. What if Jesus' people were loving courageously, forgiving without uh, anyone asking to be forgiven? What if we were the first to lead with forgiveness? Here's another one. Having the difficult conversations. What if we really let our yes be yes and our no be no and we live that way before the world, loving courageously, being vulnerable? There's an application there for Jesus' people. Sharing our dreams and our fears. What if we were really authentic before people? Setting healthy boundaries. Sometimes we need to be careful that hug doesn't become something else and we need to literally put our integrity on display as well. But what's it look like to love courageously? We're becoming us, right? Real people loving courageously. As we're becoming us, who we are. How does the storyline change? If we really were to be loving courageously, how could we change the storyline of the lives that we're living? By loving courageously. Back to our mission statement. We're real people loving courageously. We're also sharing generously. As first century Christians, get this, we live downstream of a long line of generosity. The whole Bible is the storyline of generosity. We're called to share. I could go all the way back to the great commission of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, when God came to Abram and he said this, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to be generous. And share what you know the truth to be about the one true creator God. He says, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. This is foreshadowing of the cross of Christ and how God steps on the head of the serpent and it's finished. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And again, foreshadowing of Jesus, but it's not just Jesus it's also Abraham's descendants, his biological descendants. And those of us as well who have been adopted into that family of God, the story he's been telling since the dawn of time, that he wants all people back to him. What would happen if we put sharing generously on display to the world? The principle of generosity is powerful. And the whole Bible tells the story of what God's willing to do through generosity. It's a major arc to the Bible. We can skip ahead to Proverbs chapter 19. Look at this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord himself, and he'll repay him for his deed. Then look at the flip side of that in Proverbs chapter 21. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. 
Then if you skip ahead to the New Testament, we just wrapped up this series in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. This is in red letters in your Bible. Jesus says this, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where you're generous, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6 puts it this way. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else then will be added to you. Skip ahead to Matthew chapter 10, just a few chapters later. Freely you have received, he said. Now freely give. Here's the deal. Grateful people are generous people. Are you grateful for what God has done for you? What he's doing in you as we talk about becoming us? our mission, who we are. Are you grateful? Well, then you're called to be generous. I, I, uh, I shared a story last week, uh, more than a story. It was a reality show, right? We went down on location to uh, one of these Where in the World sermon series adventures. We were in Mexico, and I told the story about a hospital down there that's missing a roof. And it's been fun to hear your feedback and your responses over this last week. I've had several of you come up and say, what would it take to put a roof on that building? That's a project I'd like to get to be a part of. Well, stay tuned. Maybe there'll be something coming with that, an opportunity there. But I love the generosity of God's people on display. Luke chapter 6, the Bible goes on, says, Given you will receive, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, make room for more. It's going to run over, pouring into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I told you before, I've got this desk in my office, and I put one of those widow's mites embedded there. It's to remind me every day we're called to give it all. We're called to be sharing uh, generously. Acts chapter 2, the story continues. Acts chapter 2, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. You guys, we come from a long line of generosity. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. This is who we are. This is what we're called to be. Acts chapter 20, just a few years further in the story, we're told it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is why we want to be a church that's marked by generosity. We want to be sharing generously. A couple weeks ago, we did this thing where we opened up our building. So many, many of you were a part of this ministry. It's called uh, Family Promise, and it's pretty cool. We bring in somebody who doesn't have a physical home, and we provide that for them, and we become their family for a week, and they sleep here, and we love on them, and we provide meals for them. And, oh, I'd love to see us be the kind of faith community that dreams about that. How do we multiply those kind of efforts? How do we become more and more generous? Because I think that looks like Jesus. Our mission statement, real people. Loving courageously, sharing generously, and definitely, last but not least, speaking truthfully. What does it look like to speak truthfully? The Bible talks about this in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him. Maturity, right? Who is the head? That is Christ. What's it look like to speak the truth in love? There's an axiom that's made its way into our elders' meetings and our staff meetings here recently. We call it the last 10%. Speak the truth in love. 
What's the real issue that needs to get thrown on the table here? What's it look like to speak the truth? But don't, don't stop there. Do it. Do it lovingly. Speak the truth in love. These are designed to go hand in hand, love and truth. We don't blast somebody with truth. No, we share it in love. And we don't just try to be lovey-dovey and not be really loving. Speak the truth to them. What would it look like if as a faith community we spoke the last 10% even to our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members, even those who are far from God? I don't think it's loving to let somebody go to an eternity in hell. I don't think that's loving. It's certainly not speaking the truth. What would it look like if you were authentically able to share with people who are inside of your sphere of influence, who are far from God? What would it look like if you told them, listen, I'm worried. I'm worried about your eternity, your, your eternal destiny. I lay awake at night thinking about you, and I'm praying for you, and I just want to speak the truth to you in love. Do you know Jesus? Can I tell you about him? Would you come to church with me? Could we explore this faith thing together? What would it look like if we as a faith community were speaking truthfully everywhere we go, speaking the truth in love? It's hand in hand. It's the last 10%. I want to wrap up my time today. <clears throat> I told you a story a bit ago about when I met my wife and I had clammy hands and we're holding hands and skip ahead in the story just a couple of years. I, uh, I preached my first sermon uh, in southern Illinois at a church down there. These people, I, I put them through it. This, my first sermon was 13 minutes long. Some of you are thinking, why can't we go back to those days today, right? Yeah, it was like 13 minutes long, and, and we made the trip down there. This was, I had taken a homilegs class, and I was supposed to preach at a church, and this was kind of my thing, and, and uh, my opportunity to do this. And my dad, my family went along, and dad had gotten two hotel rooms. My wife, not at that point, she was my girlfriend. She stayed in one room with my sister, and then the guys were in another room, and then the next day we got up, we all went to church together. I preached 13 minutes, and man, I brought the house down. The title of that message was True Love is Commitment. Now, I don't know if um, maybe I was preaching to myself. We had been dating for a couple years at that point. Maybe I was preaching to my wife, my, 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 my girlfriend, I don't know. Maybe I was preaching to the group of people. What I was trying to do was bridge the gap between God's love is commitment. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. But I was thinking about that yesterday, I was thinking about this season that we're in right now as we talk about becoming us. There's something to be said for commitment. Here's my challenge. Would you commit to being here each week for the next three weeks? As we talk about becoming us, who we are, where we're going, and hills we choose to die on. Would you commit to being a part of what God is doing here and invest deeply and not miss a week for the next three weeks. Would you stand up with me right now? I want to send us out of here with some prayer. But before I do that, I also want to uh, just kind of remind you, you might have seen something as you were walking in the lobby today. There's a booth out there. It's called a journey home. We're teasing out an opportunity that's going to happen this fall, kicking it off September 12th. The train is leaving the station, so to speak, on September 12th. And here's the deal. You want to be on that train. 
Not just you, but if you've got somebody inside of your sphere of influence that you've been thinking about inviting to church, this would be a great opportunity to invite them to engage as well. Just real quick, let me tell you how this is going to work. There are three components to this spiritual growth journey. There's the weekend service. That's this. There's a small, like, 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 like a component yourself. You're going to do some personal work, and then you're going to show up to a small group, and you're going to process that together in community. That's the design of how this is going to work. It's going to be six weeks long. You can commit to anything for six weeks. If you're not in a small group, could I challenge you right now to put that on your calendar, to plan to be a part of that experience because you don't want to miss out. And if there are people inside your sphere, but you don't want them to miss out either. A journey home is powerful. I've already been a part of a beta test as we've done the work together, the small group experience together. I want that for you and people that you love. So there should be a QR code that's popping up here on the screen. If you're at home, you can put your smartphone up right now and you can click that QR code. If you're here in the room, you're welcome to do that. On your way out, you can stop by the booth and we can help you physically with this. Here's my challenge. Get in a small group. And for some of you, several somebodies of you, we need you to host a group. If you're willing to open up your home, we'll provide you with everything you need to host one of these groups. You can do this. We'd love to have you lead like that. So on your way out today, make sure you grab that information. We'll be giving you more information about that in the weeks to come. Right now, I want to pray for us as we head out of here. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity we have to dream a little bit together about who we are, where we're going, what won't change, becoming us. God, this week, use us even toward that end as we seek to be your hands and feet to put you on display to a world that needs to see you. God, we love you, we worship you with our lives, and it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Venture. We'll see you back again next week.